Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of your righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. It's, uh, it's a little weird to say good morning because in, in reality, it's 7 o'clock on Friday night as we're recording this, <laughs> but so goes uh, the world of online church and practicing our video. It's good to be with you this morning, though. We're in a sermon series in the book of Romans called Unashamed of the Gospel, and we're this fall working our way through chapters 5 through 8, And as you heard Randy read just a moment ago, today we're looking at the second half of Romans 6. So before we dive in, pray with me, would you? God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you've called us back into a right relationship with you. Thank you that by your grace, you credit our faith to us as a right relationship with you. What an extraordinary thing, Lord. We bless you for that. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you want everyone everywhere to hear this good news. Uh, Be with us as we hear it again. We pray in your name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, the passage we read just a moment ago begins with one of Paul's uh, favorite words, therefore, therefore, we need to go back to see what came just before this so we get a sense of, of what this passage is saying. The verse just prior to this was verse 11 in chapter 6 that says this, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The command uh, to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God uh, literally means to give ourselves credit. We're not dead to sin in the sense that we're, we're no longer tempted by sin or that we might not even love sin from time to time, be drawn to it. We're, we're dead to sin in, in that if we're in Christ, if we've been united with Jesus by God's grace and, and through our faith, then, then we're de- dead to the penalty of sin. You know, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God credited Abraham's faith to him as a right relationship with God. And the command to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God is a command to give ourselves the same credit that God has already given us in Christ, to think of ourselves as those who are dead to the penalty of sin and and alive to God now and forever in, in a perfectly restored relationship with him. You're dead to sin and alive to God. Therefore, this is what Paul says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. We are dead to the penalty of sin, but we are not yet dead to the presence of sin, the love of sin, the temptation towards sin. But the whole point of salvation is to be freed from sin entirely, its penalty, its power, and its presence. Therefore, it would make no sense to continue to offer ourselves to sin in the present if we're already engaged in the process of being rescued from it entirely. This is kind of Paul's point. You know, to do that would be inconsistent with who we are. And for that reason, it would lack integrity because we would be behaving in a way that would be inconsistent with our view of the world and and what we know uh, of of God to be up to in, in this world. You know, the first two commands of Jesus came in the first line he spoke in his public ministry. It's in Mark chapter one, verse 15. The time has come, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. And the word repent means change your thinking and believe means align your life to your change of thinking. Repent means change your thinking. Believe means align your life. And and oftentimes, modern Christians tend to confuse these biblical ideas with other concepts. Sometimes we think of repentance more like penance or religious stuff we have to do to somehow make ourselves presentable to God. And, And while that might help in one's own process of sanctification, it doesn't help at all in making us right with God. That's an entirely different issue. I think sometimes we think of of repentance as punishment. It's like God's way of punishing us for something we've we've done wrong and we have to just take our licks and and push through it, endure the pain and and get to the other side so we can be back on on a smooth road again. 
You know, these are all completely wrong understandings of this. Repentance is all gift and invitation. There might be challenge for us, there's no doubt, but, but from God's side, this is the front door of our pathway back into a reconciled relationship with him. It's all gift and all invitation from God's perspective. Likewise, sometimes we confuse the meaning of, of belief. Biblical belief does not include only intellectual assent to spiritual claims about God and Jesus. That is important. But biblically, belief is demonstrated by one's life. You know, a person acts according to what they really think about what's going on in the world. The act of believing is behaving according to what you think is real and true. And and the order is important. Repent, change your thinking about this world and, and God and life, Jesus says, and then believe, align your life to that change of thinking. So the instruction from our text today makes all the sense in the world. It it says this, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now that that phrase instrument of wickedness, the word instrument really means tool or or weapon of, of wickedness. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Because if you're in Christ, you're dead to sin. You, you've repented. You've changed your thinking about this world and, and this life and what's really going on in it. So to offer any part of yourself to sin would be an act of unbelief, an, an act misaligned with your change in thinking through repentance. But gladly, Paul doesn't just leave us with what we're to avoid or, or what we're supposed to uh, not do. Look at the whole verse now. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument, that's, that's tool or weapon again, instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin. Offer every part of yourself to God. So, so what does that look like in daily life? Just think of a couple examples. Remember back to a time when you were, you were tired, you were worn out, no energy left, and the moment of temptation came, and you even knew it was there. You knew it was upon you, but you were just weary. And, and you thought about fighting back and, and then you just thought, oh, whatever. And you gave in. Think about that time when another's cutting and hurtful word caught you off guard and, and the thought flashed across your mind that you really shouldn't respond in kind, but you returned fire verbally, thinking, well, they did it. They had it coming. I mean, we all, we all know that there's hundreds of these scenarios, right? And in all of them, the instant after it happens, the inner dialogue moves immediately towards self-justification. But all the while, you know that your choice was wrong and you regret it. And the reason you're regretting it 
is because somewhere deep inside, you know that you offered a little part of yourself to sin. And in the lingo of our verse today, for a moment, you were used as an instrument, a tool, a weapon of wickedness in this world. I mean, you regret it because you know that your behavior didn't align with your repentance, your change in thinking, and thus it was an act of unbelief, misaligned behavior. Our verse says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Instead, offer every part of yourself to God. I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, eat this, not that diet books. I I had a friend who uh, was diabetic and he carried one of these books around in his car and whenever I hopped in the car with him, I'd always pick the book up and look through it because it had the menus of all the major restaurants out there where you can go, all the major chains. And I just remember so vividly, we'd look at McDonald's or something. You're looking down like, eat this, not that. And, And you'd say, wait, what? The Big Mac is healthier than the chicken sandwich? How can that be? This is impossible. And eat this, not that. The the whole point is the book isn't just telling you what not to do. It's giving you a better alternative. Right? And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, do this, not that. You know, instead of offering a little part of yourself to sin to be used for wickedness in the world, offer every part of yourself to God. You know, it's kind of like training for a road race. You can train for these moments, the, the moments when you're tempted to offer a little bit of yourself to sin. And the answer is not to try harder to avoid the sin. Don't get me wrong, we try to avoid sin. But if that's your only strategy, you're in for a losing battle. And, and I know, I've tried that, it doesn't work. The answer The answer is to redirect the offering of yourself from sin to God. Let me say that again. The answer is to redirect the offering of yourself from sin to God. So how does one do that? Let me give you three techniques. Prayer, worship, and setting your thoughts. Maybe it's the breath prayer for you. Do you know the breath prayer? You breathe in, and as you you exhale, you pray this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe it's worship. Maybe when that moment comes, you you drop into your favorite worship song. Somehow you begin to praise God. Maybe it's the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just become active in offering yourself to God. Maybe it's something like the Apostle Paul did. I mean, he managed his thought life in advance. Remember what he wrote to the Corinthians. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Which means I'm going to think about Jesus and the sacrifice he made for all of us and I'm going to keep that thought at the front of my mind the whole time I'm with you. You know what? That 
is a really good idea. That works too. I've tried that. If you go into a difficult conversation having resolved to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified, you have a different conversation. Replace the offering of yourself to sin with the offering of yourself to God. Do this, not that. And there's a verse in the Bible that says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, this is that. I mean, this is one of the things that we do to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to participate in our own sanctification, to cooperate with God in what God is doing in us. We replace the offering of ourselves to sin with the offering of ourselves to God. This is our act of belief. Or as Paul says later on in Romans 12, this is our spiritual act of worship. Right? The aligning of our life with our repentance, our changed thinking. Now, if you're like me, you probably focus way more on your failures in this regard than your successes. And it's easy to get bogged down, think you'll never get it right, and that maybe you should even quit trying. Well, in this passage, there is tremendous encouragement for us. Look at verse 14 again. For sin shall no longer be your master. You know, when we're justified, meaning when God, by his grace, credits our faith to us as a perfectly restored relationship with him both now and forever, when that happens, sin is no longer calling the shots in our life. Sin is no longer our master. I mean, this is a massive transition. And and a little further down in our passage today, Paul explains it. Look at verse 20. When you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness. What this means is that prior to coming to Christ, there's nothing mediating the reign of sin in a person's life except that general sense of right and wrong, uh, the law that God has written on the heart of every human being. In a person who has has yet come to Christ, there's no thought process that goes like this. I really shouldn't do this because I know that God loves me and this would violate my relationship with God. This would be the wrong thing to do, especially after all that God has done for me in sacrificing Jesus on on my behalf to reestablish my relationship with him. Why would I violate that? That thought process is completely absent from a person who hasn't yet come to Christ. I know this because I am one of those folks. That that is the control of righteousness that Paul is describing. The state of being in right relationship with God exercises influence in our lives as it should because we're aware of our relationship with God. Now there are, are a couple very profound implications of this. First, it should stoke our fire for evangelism. I mean, people need to be saved from the reign of sin in their lives. It's a horrible way to live. It's causing people to have a a difficult life way harder than it has to be. And it's leading them to death. I mean, we, each and every one of us, needs to be saved from the reign of sin. This is what Paul means when he writes this. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. That's, That's verse 21. 
And in it, Paul is making the pragmatic argument. He's just asking, hey, look, was your life before Jesus working for you? I mean, look, look at the fruit. It was, it was guilt, shame, and death. Why would we choose that? When it's God's heart to rescue everyone everywhere from that fruitless life and bring us into what the Bible calls, quote, the life which is really life. That's what Paul means. He writes this in verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Wow. You know, life before Jesus really wasn't working, but now that you're in Christ, wow, you've been set free. You've become slaves of God. God God is our master, a loving, kind master. And and the benefits give us a life that's better and and results in eternal life forever. That's the first implication. The second implication is this. When you're down and feeling like a spiritual failure, struggling with sin, remember, remember that the very presence of the struggle within you over sin is evidence of God's salvation in your life. If you're thinking, maybe even knowing that Jesus doesn't want you to do something, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The presence of the tension is God's grace to you and meant to guide you back to Jesus. So, you're no different than anybody else. We are all in this thing together. So if you're feeling down, if you're struggling with sin, if you feel like sin is winning, get back on the wagon. I mean, actually do the stuff the Bible tells us to do. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that we might be healed. Repentance is all gift and all invitation. We can always turn back to Jesus. Sin is no longer our master. We don't have to do what it says. Jesus is Lord. He is our master. And he's a good shepherd. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Replace the offering of yourself to sin with the offering of yourself to God. Try it this week. It works. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we bless you that You have given us your spirit. You've poured out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit you have given us. Thank you that you haven't left us alone in our struggles in this life, especially the struggle toward holiness and the work of sanctification. Would you help us this week? God, help us uh, to avoid offering any part of ourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness and instead offering every part of ourselves to you, Lord that we might be used as as tools, instruments 
of righteousness, of the making of right relationships in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.